1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, my co-host, Nick Pilato. Tonight, we're lucky because we're joined by special guest Russell Brown, who's here to break down some more draft with us. You guys might remember him from earlier during the combine when we had him on. We had him on last year as well. This dude knows ball. So we're just excited to hear his NFL draft thoughts. So, Russ, thanks for joining us. Let the people know where they can find your work right away.
2: Yeah. You can find it, uh, at Russ NFL draft on Twitter. You can find written stuff at the lion's wire or at fantasypros.com. A lot of draft stuff is at fantasy pros. A lot of lions centric stuff is lion's wire, but always appreciate you guys bringing me on. had a lot of fun when we did it, you know, last month and, and really looking forward to uh, this month. So thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Congrats again on fantasy pros. That was awesome to see.
2: Yeah, no, thanks, man. It's been, a uh, It's been a a ride, but uh, we're just chipping away one step at a time. So, you know, just if anybody out there is feeling like a little underwhelmed or whatever, just keep chipping and and keep your head down and keep grinding.
3: It's good advice. It's good advice. It's great advice. Russ, I think we should start maybe a little bit of 30,000 foot view here. Just the draft holistically. I feel like the narrative around the draft and from everything that I've seen, it does kind of check out. There's not a lot of blue chip talent here with this draft. Like you got Will Anderson, you got... I guess you could throw C.J. Stroud in there, Bryce Young, obviously Jalen Carter with all the off-the-field issue, but there's not a lot of blue-chip type of guys. And I just kind of wanted to ask you this. I know it doesn't pertain to the Giants, but the Lions are sitting there picking in top 10. So Russ is a big Lions fan. So with a top 10 pick in a in draft that doesn't necessarily have that blue-chip type of talent, what direction do you want the Lions to go and why?
2: Man, I, it's it's such a bad – it's a great question, but I'm the probably the worst person to answer it because – for the first time in my life, and I'm not being arrogant or anything, but I don't feel like I'd be upset with whatever they did. But that's just a fan in me. Realistically, I think they're going to go defensively. I think it's going to be either a corner. Devin Witherspoon from Illinois checks a lot of boxes for what they're looking for in that type of position. And and, and really what they're looking for in just that type of player. You're talking about a physical player. He's a bit of an outlier at 181 pounds, but he, he had his personal workout, a.k.a. pro day, his own pro day, where he ran a you know, 4-4-40, kind of in that range of sub 4:45. But he's a very impressive corner for his click-close ability, the physicality that he plays with. It's something that just screams Dan Campbell whenever you watch him play. But if they didn't go Devin Witherspoon, I think it's just simply because at corner, they value a guy like Christian Gonzalez probably a little bit more. Uh, They've kind of had that connection to the Pac-12 and the West Coast with Brad Holmes before. They've taken Panay Sewell. They've taken other guys from the Pac-12, Christian Gonzalez, obviously from Oregon. He's my top-ranked corner. And just get like going back a few years, I get super giddy thinking about guys like J.R. Alexander, who – you know, Nick, you and I, we probably had conversations back in the day about just, you know, when we first started doing this stuff. You look back at Patrick Sertan II. Like, those are guys that I got really excited about for the position last year. Sauce Gardner. Same thing here with Christian Gonzalez. Like, there's so much to like with a six foot one, 197 pound corner where he's just super fluid with his lower half. He can flip his hips, he runs in stride with his receivers. I, I think his skill set really is a player that who's only 20 years old he's only going to get better so I I think he's going to be a guy that makes a lot of sense for them so I really took the scenic route there just because again I love talking this stuff I love those specific players um I, I think it's Witherspoon or Gonzalez potentially a trade down I can get into a trade down scenario if you'd like um and and really the the one that would be the the home run is Will Anderson if he ends up falling there
1: Speaking on kind of more of that 30,000 foot view, now that you've kind of had your chance to look at the entire class as a whole, evaluate it, really get a good feel for the scope of it. A lot of fans always ask us when they're building their mocks, like, do I take this player here at position X, knowing there will be options at position X in round three, four, five, things like that. What would you consider to be the deepest positions in this class? What would you consider to be the shallowest positions in this class?
2: I think the deepest is is corner and edge rusher. I mean, just looking at my board in, in total, you know, I have 13 edge rushers with, you know, third round grades or better uh, in the top 100. At, at corner, I've got 13, or I'm sorry, I got 14 corners there with third round grades or better. So I think at corner or edge, you're going to find some players. And again, my, my top 100 varies from the consensus like You know, for example, just for wide receiver, Tank Dell from Houston, not in my top 100 because I didn't watch him. So you're going to find a lot of guys that maybe the consensus watch that I haven't watched because, I mean, life's a thing and and those types of things. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. But I, I look at those two positions and I just feel like within the first three rounds, you can find tons of quality players from, you know, the Zach Harrisons from Ohio State at Edge to obviously Anderson and Tyree Wilson. You get into Miles Murphy, who I think is the most underrated player in the draft, most overlooked player in this draft, who kind of resembles Rashawn Gary from a few years ago when he came out of Michigan, who ended up going like 15th or 16th to the Green Bay Packers, which was really surprising when that happened. So I think it'd be the same thing this year for him. But I think those are the the two deepest. I think the more shallow part of the class is, I mean, there's a lot of pick your flavor guys, but really wide receiver. I, I don't think it's a great, Wide receiver group. We've got a lot of slot receivers in this draft. I mean, I love Josh Downs. He's a dog. I think he's a top thirty-five player in this draft, and I think there's a chance he could be a back end first rounder if a team like Buffalo or, or New Orleans or even like Kansas City wanted to take him. And I'm not being you know rich or too sexy there. I think that's a, a realistic option. But we're talking about a lot of five-nine, buck seventy, buck seventy-five players. Even my top receiver, Jordan Addison. I mean, he's five. Five eleven, a, a buck 73. I mean, and he's not overly explosive or anything like that. So there's, there's a couple of interesting guys like Cedric Tillman. I'm really intrigued with. I, I, I like, you know, Jaden Reed as a third round pick, but I'm probably biased because I kind of went to school there. But at the same time, like, I think there's some quality guys, but at the same time, I don't feel like there's that alpha at the wide receiver position that we've seen in years past. Like you know, Jamar Chase, C D Lamb and stuff like that. I just I don't feel that connection to this wide receiver class as, as maybe some others do.
3: Neither do we. I don't want to speak for Dan, but we've talked enough about this. There is no Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith. I mean, I look back at some of those draft classes, Russ, and I'm like, how the hell were there that many, like five, six, seven deep, like you are a number one receiver on a team, to the point where we have teams like the Dolphins right now, we have Jalen Waddle, freaking Tyree Kill. We have teams with like two number ones, and I look at the Giants, and the Giants don't really have a true number one. Your number one is Darren Waller. He's a tight end. And if I could ask you your opinions on this tight end class – and as a Detroit lions fan as well, you know, you guys kind of have a history of taking round one type of tight ends. Who are your favorite tight ends in this draft class? And do you know the giants landscape? Well, I do not want to put you on the spot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Daniel Bellinger and, and, and and Darren Waller, I don't see it as being a a huge need for them, but not not saying they won't, you know, I don't not saying they won't take a stab at it in the third, fourth or fifth round. Uh, you know, I think in the first round, it's pretty unlikely that they're going to end up with Dalton Kincaid or or Michael Mayer or anything like that. Just, I mean, simply speaking, because it just, it doesn't make sense. And there's a chance both those guys could be off the board. I mean, they are that talented. Michael Mayer, you know, especially, he's super consistent, I mean, across the board for what he's able to do at, you know, 6'5", 249, I, I, I look. I love Dalton Kincaid. He's the most sure-handed tight end in this class. But to sit here and say that Michael Mayer is not the top tight end, I just think it's kind of, kind of ludicrous in a sense. But at the same time, I, like I get it. I respect people. Whatever it is, what it is. But uh, with that said, I, I think those are two guys that are for sure first rounders. But guys that maybe that fit more so what the, the Giants are looking for at the position. I would be curious if if he ends up slipping a little bit just simply because he's. You know, when you look at those mock draft simulators and they don't always, you know, line up or add up, but he's more so in like that 60 to 80 range. That's Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State. He's 52nd on my board. I think if there's a chance he's there in the third round, you end up taking a stab at him. I mean, he's not the most sure handed tight end in this draft. He had 12 career drops, but at 6'5", 254, a guy that played through injury this past year, he was pretty impressive as an inline blocker. I thought he was somebody that did a really good job, whether it was reach blocking or he would combo block or just chip up and get to a linebacker. Like he really held his own at that. And then just as a route runner, like he was, he was pretty good. I mean, he's a, he's a former basketball player. You can see the athleticism, He played quarterback. He was a punter in high school. Like he he's, he's an athlete and I think there's some refinement in his route running, but he really stands out. Another one, Payne Durham from Purdue. Um, I don't know where you know you guys might be on him or anything like that from the senior bowl, but he really stood out. He ended up with a top 100 grade on my board. He's a fourth rounder at six six two fifty three. Um, I think overall it's a, it's a it's a good class. I think it's a it's a fun group. I think a guy like Ben Sims from Baylor is another name as well. Doesn't really get talked about on day three, but he's another one of those that's you know not going to light it up as far as 50 60 receptions but you know to rely on a guy for 25 to to, to maybe 35 40 receptions he's he's a good quality guy there but uh, overall i think it's a good group i think we're going to probably see two tight ends in this first round more than likely i'd be curious if darnell washington gets in just simply because of potential upside and how freak of an athlete he is but overall yeah it's a good group
3: Kane yeah. Durham actually was on a top 30 visit, too, with the New York Giants, and I think he's a realistic option for the Giants at day three. I think he compliments Bellinger and Waller well, because correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've seen, he does have blocking upside. He's not that at- athletic. He's not the freak athlete, but he's sure-handed, and he'll make contested catches, and there was one play against Illinois, I think I brought it up on this podcast, where I believe he hurtled Sydney Brown who, and like made and made this little subtle move that forced Devon Witherspoon and then another Illinois defense back to run into each other up the sideline. It was probably one of her longer receptions, but I do like that Payne Durham call. Yeah,
2: Yeah. he's he's somebody that he, he, his route running is like inconsistent at time. He doesn't always sink his hips. He doesn't always throttle down correctly when he's changing direction but with those stick routes and just, you know, the stuff in the middle of the field, I think he's pretty good in that regard. And he always kind of stood out when I would watch Charlie Jones. Then you go to the senior bowl and you mentioned contested catches. I mean, he, he's making these crazy acrobatic catches for, you know, a six foot five, two or six foot six, 250 pound tight end. Some people I, I've spoken to, they, they kind of compare him to like Charlie Kohler from Iowa State last year. So might be kind of a, a comparison that, that really sticks for him. And maybe he ends up, you know, sticking with it with a team like the Giants.
1: I think that's actually a great comp, Charlie Kohler, just thinking back to last draft. And I like Charlie Kohler a lot. And I think you've said Mm -hmm. it best watching Charlie Jones. It's hard not to, it was hard not to see Payne Durham. Like it's hard not to notice him. Yeah. Uh, I think he does a great job using his body and his size and his frame to win on those types of routes you were talking about. I also think he could be a red zone threat for the Giants if they drafted him. So we'll see what happens there. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the interior offensive line class. And so this is a position Nick and I haven't really found the time to go over as much as we would have liked to. So I'm going to give you some traits, and I'm going to ask you to kind of fill in the blanks. So what we, Nick and I think, is the Giants are looking for interior offensive linemen who can move and locate on the move, but more importantly, who can move. Now we say this because they signed Mark Lewinsky last year in free agency. There were a lot of guard options in free agency that we felt were maybe better than Lewinsky, not just overall, but just, based on contract and age and things like that, but they did sign Glowinski. And when you look at his profile, Glowinski actually had really good testing athletically and watching his film, as Nick always likes to say, you, he's good. That's the one thing he does offer the giants right now. Glowinski he's offered. He, he offers them something when he's on the move. We feel the same about Josh Azudu, maybe not the same prototypical type of guy, but he can move better than people realize. I think the giants notice of that. And then finally Feliciano, a lot of people were like, why don't the giants just start Nick Gates last year, midway through season? Well, They didn't believe that Nick Gates could offer them what Feliciano offered them, which was that ability to get out in space and move. So with those traits in mind, who are some of the interior offensive linemen you like either to convert to center from tackle or guard for both uh, center and guard?
2: Yeah, well, you know, two guys that are really deep down the list and maybe they don't get talked about a lot. And I want to start there because I I think they're they're better fits overall just because you don't have to spend the draft capital like a first or a second rounder to get them. I think they're more of like those third round picks. Cody Mock from North Dakota State. I I know a lot of people were like, hey, he's a second rounder. I didn't like him as much as I liked guys like Dylan Ray Dunes and stuff like that, that we've seen out of NDSU over the years, but I still like him quite a bit. And I think he's going to be a plug and play type of guard. Um, Again, not as good as Cordell Volson from last year. That was one of my guys, but I I like and I think he's somebody that has guard tackle flexibility. He's physical. Like you mentioned, you want a guy that can kind of get out in space, get up to the second level. And when he latches onto a defender at the second level, I mean, he's got bad intentions and it's just driving them into the stands. It's driving them into the dirt. He's got great grip strength and he's a tough kid. I mean, he started 39 games for the Bison. He hasn't had an easy road, you know, in college, by any means that COVID season, you know, they had to play in the spring. It kind of, everything kind of just changed around for him, but he's, he's a fun player. He's got his head on his shoulders. He's, you know, he's an ass kicker. He's a football player. You're going to take him, and you should get some quality starts out of him. The other one, Emil Acure Jr. from Alabama, a a player that I fell in love with when he was a freshman and he just kind of never became that guy. But he's got almost 34-inch arms at 6'2", 3'14". And I thought as somebody that was as experienced as him, we'd talk about him a little bit more. He ends up with a you know a third-round grade on my board, 92nd overall. His dad played in the NFL. His dad played uh, six seasons in the NFL with the Falcons, the Bucks, and the Raiders. And the, the fun thing with Akure is he hasn't given up a sack in two seasons. And while he loses ground from time to time, I think he's got to you know work on his anchor. Um, And there's times that he can get overly aggressive. I just think when you look at technique, consistently keeping your hands square, hitting the chest plate of defenders, and being able to kind of latch on, steer them, and drive them away, or or just clear them out, and 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 get them out of there. It's that's the key. And I think Ikior can do that very well. I think he'd be an interesting option there in the third round. Um, But as you mentioned, you know, guys that maybe are more so center guard guys that that might be able to do all five positions uh the, the one is is you know for me Joe Titman out of Wisconsin and I, I know you're a Wisconsin guy so that's probably right up your alley but oh, yeah. I mean when you're looking at a when you're, <laughs> you're looking at a 6 foot 6 interior offensive lineman you know there's some some guard center flexibility there there's not really any concerns with with overall length or anything things like that. I mean, almost 33 inch arms. I, I think he's somebody that with a little bit more time, he'll get a little bit more polishing. He's only got 23 career starts. So, you know, when you look at Wisconsin offensive linemen, you're talking about guys that play 40 games, you know, he only got 25 games in his career. So he needs a little bit of polishing, but I think he's going to be somebody that really operates well in space. He looks to those guys in the ground. I like him a lot as a, as a, you know, late second round pick. And I think if the Giants were intrigued enough to take a player like that, he'd make a lot of sense.
3: One thing too, about Titman and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't he recruited to be a tackle tackle?
1: Yep. He was yeah, going so to that- be a tackle at Wisconsin. And then they just had so much depth there at tackle. They're just like one day they're like, let's try you out at center. And the, it was supposed to be a short-term thing. He played so well. They felt that he kept them there.
3: Which suggests that he could learn to grow. Cause there are definitely some technical I would say yeah. issues with Joe Titman in terms of landing the punch and the timing. And I think his tall hat kind of will get in his way a little bit in certain situations as well. But damn, you want to talk about a guy, get him out on the move. I love that call. I do. I love him. I'm a big JMS fan yeah. as well. And I also like the, uh, Emilic your, uh, call from you, Russ. I studied him, I think around the senior bowl time, I think is when I dove into his tape and he was a player to me. I remember there was a play against LSU, where I think it was a G lead play. And he was the guard who was leading the play side guard on the G lead. And he kicked out this LSU defender and just led to like a long Gibbs touchdown run. And I just think he has, I wouldn't say he's as mobile as someone like Titman or that, but definitely sufficient in that manner. And I think he's an option for the giants, maybe late on day two, early day three.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. You need indeed. I like that call yeah, a lot.
2: I, I got a I got a pro comparison for for Joe and I'm not a big pro comp guy. First and foremost, I people always are like, give me a pro comp. I'm not. That's not my thing. I, I let the player be the player. But I do have one that I kind of like for him, and it's Ethan Pochick, I think is how you say his name. Okay. Uh, yep, out of LSU. I, I think he could go in a similar range. You know, top 60 type player, similar size and it took him a little bit of time to kind of figure it out in the NFL, but he kind of is starting to find his way a little bit with the Browns. Maybe that's similar with Tippman.
3: We'll see. I don't know. Drafted by the Seahawks, if I remember correctly, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, it didn't really work out there, but hey, I like the uh, joke Tippman call. I like the Ikeior call. Do you have any other developmental interior offensive linemen later on in the draft that you would be like, hey on the lions from the giants up if i'm whomever i would bring this guy in and allow him to work with your offensive line coach because i at least see the potential for possibility for this guy to start
2: yeah there's a another name i i didn't put him in my draft guide he was one of the, the first players i wrote up this year uh but that's alex forsyth out of oregon he hasn't been talked about a lot through this process uh, but you know, 26 starts over three seasons for the Ducks. He'll be 24, or he just turned 24. Um, and he didn't, he accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl, but he didn't end up performing or, or participating or anything like that. And I don't know if it was because of injury, but we're looking at an experienced interior offensive lineman here. He's got over 1,900 career snaps. Uh, he's shown that he can play either guard spot, he could play some center he's interesting. When I talked to Jim Nagy, he said he, he was their top ranked senior interior offensive lineman. So the fact that he wasn't at the senior bowl, I don't know if he just accepted the invite and then said, Hey, I'm not participating because I'm going to go much easier or much, much higher than, you know, you, you think, but I, I think he can move in space. I think he's somebody that you, when you watch the tape, you see that he heavily is relied on to, to ID and pick up line stunts and blitzes. And I think his power in the run game he, he's got this ability to finish. So I, I like him as, you know, probably a day three pick. And the, the fun thing with him is he's one of the few offensive linemen that I've seen that don't wear knee braces. I don't, I thought that was like a requirement. I asked Jim Nagy about, it. he's like, I think it's just a preference thing. So I don't know, but he doesn't wear knee braces. So maybe that's why, <laughs> I don't know. Take it for what it's worth. I don't know. He's, he, he lives on the wild side.
3: I like that call, by the way. There was a play against, I think, Arizona where he – it was like a 25-yard touchdown run by their quarterback, Bo Nix, and he kicked out into space and ended up locating the cornerback. The contained defender just drove him out of bounds, and then Nix just ran in for a touchdown, 25 yards, and I was like, holy crap, this guy is pretty mobile. For like a day three, everyone's talking about him in the day three range, like take a swing on that if the Giants forego taking center early in the draft.
1: Yeah, I want to ask you about flipping it to the other side of the ball, Russ. I want to ask you about the linebacker position. I think this is an interesting linebacker class in the sense that some people think it's defined that Jack Campbell's the best linebacker in this class. But the more people I talk to, they, I hear a wider array, array of names between some people who are really high on what Trenton Simpson could be, almost like the same people who are very high on um, – why am I blanking on the kid who went to the Cardinals from Clemson a few years ago, different players, D. but Simmons. similar idea Simmons. And some people are really high on drew Sanders for the, de- depending on the fit of your defense, Jack Campbell, I mentioned, and I have my, the linebacker I bet on first would be Dayon Henley out of Washington state. So who is the, wh- how do you kind of shape, how do you size up this linebacker class? And, and then an- in answering that question, Russ, Where would you take these guys? Like, would there? Would you have any linebacker you'd be willing to take in the top thirty? Would you have any linebacker even willing to take in the top fifty? Like, when does they? When do you want to start taking linebackers? The Giants are a team that have now have one great or should be pretty good linebacker and Bobby Okereke who they signed. They still need another linebacker at least.
2: Yeah, I think. It's similar to like the wide receivers, right? Like there's not really a dog in this class. Like we've kind of been spoiled in in previous drafts, whether it was, you know, the the year of Roquan Smith or Tremaine Edmond, Leighton Van Der Ashes, you know, those types of players. And I like Trenton Simpson personally. He's my top ranked linebacker. It's very close between him and Jack Campbell. Uh, Simpson is is 34th on my board, but he's somebody that, you know, everything I've came across and some people I've spoke with is like. Great character, great leadership skills. He and then you put on the tape, and he's a guy that you know he scrapes over the top of consistency. He can read and react quickly. I love the versatility to his game, and while some people might not like it because it kind of hurt him at times, he wore multiple hats and he never was really able to hone in on one specific you know job or skill. You're asking a a, you know potential Mike backer to do multiple things, and and I thought he showed that he could do it. So I think he's somebody that you know as he improves he'll he'll not play with as much hesitation and his coverage drops there's times when he's you know dropping back as that mid-hook defender there's some hesitation there there's times where he's not always disengaging on blocks he's more so trying to run through those blocks but I like the player and he comes from a great background his dad was a uh, a command sergeant He, he he served 17 overseas tours over with the U.S. Army Rangers So he comes from a great background. I just I love the player. I I think he's somebody that I would take in the first round. If I'm like the Giants, I think the Bills would be very intrigued with him just simply because they lost Tremaine Edmonds, and I think that's their biggest need. Um, And then just quickly on Jack Campbell, I I like Jack Campbell for a lot of the reasons that probably everybody else does. I mean, his ability to change direction is so damn good for a player that's 6'5", 250. To run a three-cone drill in 6.74 seconds is – freakish to me. And he's a guy that can communicate consistently. He shows it on every single play. Like he's a green helmet type of guy, right? Like he's going to get the green dot. He's going to be out there playing Mike and he's going to get everybody in line. And he might not be a a sexy pick by any means, but I think he's got the potential to develop into a very good player at the next level. And I think his better days are ahead of him. So it's very close between him and Simpson. Personally with uh, Drew Sanders, I wasn't his biggest fan. He didn't really move the needle for me. I I thought I was going to like him a lot more just because of his pass rushing ability. While I like that, I need a pass rusher. Sure, no problem. I'll blitz him, but the guy can't tackle. Like, I don't know who's teaching him how to tackle, but his tackling Mm -hmm. technique is awful. He, I mean, it's just, he had 22 missed tackles in 2022. Like it, it's just like, I can't have that. I can't draft a guy like that in the first round. I can't trust that. If you want to take him day two, that's fine but it's more. So what am I taking him to be? Is he going to be like a sub package edge rusher from time to time? And then, you know, maybe float around as will? I don't know what, what's he going to play for me. So I think that's the big thing with Sanders is tackling and overall just, you know, alignment.
3: What about Dan's man crush, Diane Henley from Washington state?
2: I I like him. You can just tell though, he's still a little rough around the edges. And I, I think that's just simply because he's still learning the position, right? Like I, I have no problem taking him on day two by any means. I think that the coverage skills are very impressive, and seeing it firsthand really won me over. I think he's a, a prototypical Will at 6'1", 225. Uh, I think he can even add a little bit to his frame. I mean, he's already jacked, but I think he could add some weight to his frame and still be just fine uh, because it's not going to affect his speed. And he's a guy that, you know, with with wheel routes, he's going to run and stride with running backs. But beyond that, he was a pretty consistent tackler. I thought overall yep. with his technique, he consistently showed, you know, good pad level, leg drive wind tackling. And I thought his communication from, you know, over the course of just watching time from Nevada to Washington state, you see a guy that's consistently getting better. So I have no problems with taking him and just simply developing him as my starting will, it might take him a year, but I think as you know, as a day two pick, he's, he's a fine selection.
1: Yeah. Just a 5.2% missed tackle rate. I think it, if I'm not mistaken, it was the best among any of the linebackers we just talked about. Yeah, it was.
3: So Russ, have you done extensive work on the safety group? Because I've watched a couple of them. I'll say that yeah. I'm, I'm not in love with the safety group, Brian branch. I'm a big fan of, I really think he, there's a lot of value for a player like that in a wink Martindale system. And in basically any system, I don't know if that's the direction the giants will go, but what are your thoughts overall on the safety position and who are some of your late day two, early day three guys who can come in and possibly start year one and maybe surprise some teams?
2: Yeah, in total, I watched nine. I graded six in the top hundred players like Brandon Joseph, JL Skinner, and and Jair Brown did not make the top hundred for me. Uh, Jair Brown just, it didn't, I didn't see it. I saw a lot of hype a couple months ago i just don't see it with him i don't know what the hell happened by the way (laughs) i i don't i I don't know what happened to brandon joseph i'm gonna be honest like this was a guy that was a true freshman that just like blew up had a great big 10 championship game like the best play of his life and he has not been the same but uh i'm with you on brian branch i i think he's a, a guy that. Could probably go in the first round. I think a team like Jacksonville makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I could see a team even like Buffalo taking him uh, just simply because of the type of player that he is. I know some people are going to be like, hey, four, five, eight speed is not great, but you don't need him to, to have straight line speed. Like you don't need him to play as your single high safety and have all this range. He can more so be that slot that slot corner from time to time, a buzz defender from time to time. I think he's going to have, you know, cover two responsibilities and, and that's fine. Uh, I think the the range is there to go sideline to sideline, but again, if you're if you're a little bit worried about that speed because it's in a straight line, it's not great. That's fine. He's a great tackler. Uh, I thought he was somebody that with special teams ability and, and then just his ball skills. I mean, he can play through the catch point. He had 23 pass breakups in his career. I think he's he's a fine player, and I think he's going to be a better pro. Um, the player that I like and I have two here is is both from the SEC. Chris Smith from Georgia and Jordan Battle from Alabama. Starting with Chris Smith, super smart guy. Talking to him at the Senior Bowl, we looked at a play with Tennessee, and I might even talk about this on the last time I was on, where there's a play uh, against Tennessee, and he's matched up against Jalen Hyatt, essentially covering the slot because he's kind of got you know free safety responsibilities. At times, he's more of like that buzz defender. I think he's going to more so play – cover two overhang roll type stuff in in the nfl but uh talking back to him there was a play it was like play four in the game and he ends up uh jumping a hitch route like perfectly and making a sure tackle and it's third down he stops the play and hyatt's a guy you get the ball in his hands. you know what's gonna happen so then 10 plays later he gets beat on like a double move and i go back and i'm like, hey were you expecting that same route that happened 10 plays earlier? And he's like, I absolutely, I was, I thought he was going to run some type of option route and he burned me. And he's like, I lost. It's fine. And just like getting to talk to a guy like that, having those instincts and the knowledge of, Hey, I didn't do this play, right. I'll figure it out. He's a smart player. I think, you know, People, again, straight line speed, the safeties, not a single safety in this class did any favors with 40-yard dash times, but that's fine. I don't need my safety to run a fast 40. I need this guy to come up, make tackles, and kind of be the the, the last straw for my defense, right? Like the last measure of defense. So I think Christopher Smith can do that. He can, he can play a variety of roles. And then Jordan Battle out of Alabama. I think if he would have been at the Senior Bowl, we would have talked about him a lot more. Uh, I think he's somebody that you know, he can improve his his pursuit angles at the next level. Uh, his speed, obviously, is going to get tested from time to time, but he did run a 4.55. Five. And I think he's somebody, though, you know, whether he's a single high safety, whether he's a buzz defender as well, he comes up, man, and he's physical. And I think when he's playing down in the box, he can be used as a blitzer. I, he just always stood out when I watched Brian Branch, when I watched anybody from Alabama, Jordan Battle, just always stood out.
3: Jordan Battle is somebody that I'm looking forward to focusing on a little bit more, because when I was watching Alabama, I was much more oriented towards Brian Branch. You brought up JL Skinner. And I got to say something about JL Skinner. And I want to say something about Christopher Smith. But JL Skinner has to be one of the most awkwardly looking safeties I've seen out there. Like that guy is so freakishly like long and high cut. With the skinniest freaking legs. It's pretty freaking wild to see him. And then one little observation on Christopher Smith. So for whatever reason, I was watching Georgia against Kent State, and I watched Chris Smith. And this was such like a deterrent to me because it seems like he's gonna be a player I'm gonna like because he's very cerebral, he's smart, he's in position a lot, a little bit undersized, but I can work with that. But I watched a running back named Marquez Cooper, who I think is transferring away from Kent State. Steal this man's soul at about the fifteen yard line. Just ran right through this guy's face, and I was like, "Wait, that's the player everybody's talking about." Because this was early on in the draft process, and then I, I never went back to his tape after that. So you're suggesting I should, I should give him another chance. That might have been just an anomalous play.
2: Yeah, no, you should definitely give it another, another chance. There's, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's the Missouri game. There's okay. a play where he floats over the top. And like he reads the ball the whole time and he just a not like he knew he was getting beat. So he just waited until that ball was hit in the hands of the receiver and just gave him everything he had broke <laughs> up the play. And the receiver was like dead and he's just on his knees and he's like, well, made that one work. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll send you the clip. I got it posted somewhere.
1: Awesome. I want to talk. I want to talk a little corners with you now, Russ. So, Nick and I both did. Uh, Nick and I did a pre-draft podcast where we ranked the Giants' needs heading into the draft, and we both have cornerback as our top need. And it, and for me, and I think it was the case for Nick as well, a tier ahead of any other position. I know a lot of Giants fans aren't really considering it this way, but I hate to break it to you guys. In today's NFL, you need a lot of corners on your roster who are capable. I think you need four to five at minimum because of injuries to that position. It's a very injury-prone position, and teams are often running three guys out there at receiver. For most of the snaps, the vast majority, sometimes now they're running four, but typically three. And sometimes it's three receivers and a move tight end. And now you need to really have four defensive backs on the field. Maybe one being a safety who can help, who can hold up there. The Giants currently have Cordell Flott, Aaron Robinson, Amanio, who you know, and, um, and obviously Dory Jackson at corner now. A lot of the speculation is that they drafted Flott to play the slot, but I think it's only speculation because, one, they obviously aren't going to use, in my opinion, a pick like that on a slot-only player. Maybe, but I doubt it. And, two, he actually looked pretty good at the out- on the outside. So I'm going to give you two options. You can either find me a slot corner, and then the Giants are going to kick Flott out to the outside and let this slot corner compete with an Aaron Robinson type. Or you could find me an outside corner, and then they kick slot inside, uh, Flott inside to the slot. And I want you to tell me the corners in that mold who you like, who have press man coverage skills. Cause that's what we're looking for here in this wing Martindale defense, press man corners.
2: Well, uh, I got a couple here, so I'm going to start with one, as you mentioned guys that, you know, can do a variety of things, wear multiple hats and he's listed as a safety on my board, but you could go around and see that he's listed as a corner because he's done a variety of things. And that's Jartavius Martin from Illinois. So he's a guy that's got absolute boulders for calves. Like I, it's crazy. <laughs> he's been dunking since like the sixth grade. He's got a 44 inch vertical. He put up 15 reps in the bench the combine, but he's versatile and he's a guy that has starts at corner safety. He's got a strong fluid, you know, lower half, He's got the hit fluidity to kind of turn and run with receivers on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, now, now there's times where, you know, he's a step behind, he might get beat from here, you know, time to time, but I think he's somebody that if he can start jumping routes a little bit faster, you can put him down in the slot. Maybe he could even be a buzz defender from time to time. And I think his best football is in front of him, just like, you know, Kirby Joseph from Illinois, when he came onto the, you know, the lions, he took a huge step forward. I think Jarctavius Martin can do the same thing. Now, from a press man perspective, there's nobody better. I think from like a day two fit, if if we're talking just day two, is Tyreek Stevenson from Miami, Florida. I I think physical press man corner with almost 33-inch arms, I mean, how could you not be excited about that? That's a player that Wink Martindale got to watch up close at the senior Bowl. He's got the athletic ability to run with receivers and recover. He attacks the ball when it's a 50-50 ball, which I love to see. I hate seeing guys that like – get lost. They don't turn for the football. They kind of wait for it to come to them. He attacks it and he gets aggressive. And, and there's times he gets a little bit more you know, more aggressive than he should. He's got to improve some of his lateral quickness. Uh, I think he's got to react a little bit faster and a little bit more fluidly, but he's a, he's a player that was highly recruited. was a five-star recruit, went to Georgia, ended up playing two seasons there. And with only four starts, he ended up transferring to Miami, Florida. And, and during 21 games with 20 starts, I mean, He's, he's, a, he's a fun player, man. His 100-meter his, his, uh, dash time, his PR was 10.88. He runs a 4.45 at the combine. I love the player. I think he's somebody as, you know, somewhere in day two, he's going to be fine. Uh, and then the other one, Clark Phillips from Utah. Kind of fell off a little bit this year. We're talking more so a nickel. And at 5'9", 184, I think there's much to be desired because of his, his, his ball skills. Nine career interceptions, 24 pass deflections. He's a smart player. He understands his landmarks and zone coverage. I think he can play man coverage. He's shown it on the outside. I think he's best suited probably inside to do those man coverage roles. Uh, but overall, he he was a guy that I really liked going into the year. But then as this year went on and, and the more I watched from you know the USC game, the Oregon game, there were times that like he just didn't look interested in tackling. And that was what moved him down my board. Like when – there's a pile up and you're just kind of shoving the receiver, turning up, turning away and just like walking away from the football that bothers me. Cause if that thing's on the ground, you could scoop and score. So like there's those little details that worry me with him, but I just, I think he's a player from a coverage standpoint and, and the ball skills, getting the football into his hands. He makes a ton of sense, especially for a team like the giants with Wink Martindale. I think he could make some sense maybe, you know, late, late second round, you know, early third round.
3: What about Emmanuel Forbes have you seen Mr. Pick Six himself yet
2: <laughs> Yes I have Mr. 14 uh interception six for a touchdown yeah I, look I like him a lot as a as a late first rounder so I think there's a chance that you know if the Giants want him they're going to have to take him you know in that first round range the, the biggest downside to him is 166 pounds right like he put on a little bit Going into yeah. his pro day and stuff, and and you can work with it because at 6'1", I mean, you you have the frame to add some weight. I mean, he could potentially add five or six more pounds in the NFL, be 180 pounds, and okay, so he doesn't run a four three five anymore. He runs a four four. Cool. Like I'm cool with it. Like the the dude's an athlete, so I think his his length really stands out. He's a ball hawk. I, I think he would make a lot of sense and. It wouldn't surprise me if, again, if he ends up going in that first round. Teams like the Bengals and the Eagles have done a bunch of work on him. And I could even see, and in my mock draft 2.0, Eric DaCosta of the Ravens talks about needing picks. He wants more picks. It makes sense. He doesn't have a second. I could see the Chiefs calling up, hey, we want a receiver. We're going to move up, get our guy. You can move back to 31. They get some picks, and then they take Emmanuel Forbes. That's what I had them do in 2.0. So it, it kind of screams Baltimore Ravens to me, but I I would love him in the Giants. I'm all for it.
3: I like that I, call a lot. I think he's going to get. I think he's going to be a first round pick too. Like I think people are starting to catch on to that. I just think the ability to take the football away and just the traits. Like you watch the film, I get it. He's not the strongest, but I also don't think it afflicted him as much as other cornerbacks were being discussed around that area. And I'm not saying that he's just going to you know press DK Metcalf into the into the sidelines or anything like that. But I I don't feel like it really affected him that much. But before we go on to something else, I have to ask you about another cornerback that's not in this draft, and that is Amanio. What was your overall opinions on him? Be candid, okay, because Dan and I have already talked about it. You don't know our opinions on him, but take the floor.
2: Yeah, Amanio, look, he came out of, I don't want to say left field because I knew about him. I, I i can't remember my specific like grade or anything like that. Uh, when he was coming out of Penn State. But when he goes to the Lions, I'm like, okay, I, I'm glad they added him. I, I'm I'm pumped about it. And then he ends up taking that big step forward. He leads the team in interceptions. And I'm like, awesome. Like this dude is legit. We got a number two corner. Finally, Jeff Okuda is going to start coming around. And then I, he just fell off. And like he doesn't read and react quick enough. He doesn't play with enough patience. Guys like Forbes, they're patient. They anticipate routes. He kind of gets, I feel like lost in space at times. Now, maybe it's a better fit with Wink and and with the Giants, but I don't know, man. I I feel like to see a guy go like this and then just kind of fall off the way he did. It's like almost like Russell Wilson at quarterback. It's like, uh, I don't know if I can really trust this guy moving forward. Now, Maybe it works out, maybe it continues, but, um, I mean, I'd be definitely curious to see what you guys think as far as, do you think he's going to continue to progress or, do, or is he more of like that just depth piece for your defense?
3: I personally, and I don't, don't want to speak for Dan. I don't want him starting this year. Like if he's starting, that's a big issue for a multitude of reasons. A, the giants didn't make a high investment in cornerback more than likely in this draft class. And he beat Cordell flat out for that job, unless Cordell, Uh, usurps Darnay Holmes in the slot. But I don't think Amanio gives you the the best chance starting outside because of the things you were talking about, the lack of patience, the lack of discipline. I watched a lot of his tape, man. And when he was impressed, everyone's like, yeah, the Giants added this long press cornerback. I'm like, no, this guy is not great in press. His technique is trash. And maybe Jerome Henderson can coach him up, but like his punch, it's erratic. I feel like he's very unconfident. His footwork is very, very uncontrolled. He's opening his hips and just giving pure inside releases towards cor- or towards wide receivers when he doesn't have to, when he doesn't have a adjacent defender kind of protecting him to the inside. I just, I just was not a huge fan of his game relative to how the giants Twitter was really reacting about him. But for a depth piece, your third cornerback, somebody who can spot start for you. I'm okay with that situation, but mm-hmm. as a starter, that's not, that's not a winning formula in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think I think Nick, you're spot on there. It's not a player. I think more of a depth piece for us. I want to get back to what you were saying before about Forbes and just speaking about all outliers in this draft, because he is certainly an outlier. I mean, he would be the small be the the lightest corner drafted, I think, ever in the first round, and I think the lightest overall since two thousand and three by 10 it was 10 pounds for the for the lightest uh first round and five pounds for the lightest overall now i think nick's kind of right maybe we're just looking too much into like he's 166 he's 173 this makes such a difference like that type of stuff because it's like "Eh, in the end does it really make that much difference but another kind of outlier to me just because as nick as nick liked to say when we evaluated him first and he's one of my favorite guys too in this class is that he did get pushed around at times. And if he got pushed around at times, at the collegiate level, he's going to get pushed around at times the NFL level, but that's DJ Turner, a corner who I really freaking love in this draft. I gotta be honest. I mean, and similar to Forbes, the reason I think, I think one of Turner or Forbes will go in round one. And I think there's a chance both go because straight up, These dudes are the some of the fastest players the position in this class with four two seven and four three six speed respectively, and that is so coveted at the corner position. And it actually means I'm not. I'm a bit. I'm with you. I hate using forty yard dash in general, except for corner at corner. I kind of like it because I've been fooled before Deandre Baker. I thought was going to be a great player for the giants, despite running like a four or five one, because his tape looked awesome in the sec and he was really good in the sec. And then he gets the NFL level receivers and that speed showed up all right away. And there were other issues with him, but speed was a factor And I've seen this happen for a lot of corners at the NFL level. So, what other outliers do you think? Like, what do you think about some of the other outliers? I know you said you didn't really watch tank Dell. Did you watch Klaja Kansi? Like, what are your thoughts on him? For example?
2: Yeah, I did. And, and, and quickly on Turner, he was a guy in the summer. I I watched two games of, and I I was hyping him up in the summer. And then, you know, like I said, life happened. He kind of fell through the cracks and he comes out, he he runs an impressive time. And I I thought he was going to be a big riser through the entire process. And he just didn't get hyped up until the combine. And I'm like, well, if he wouldn't have ran a 426, would we be talking about him as, you know, as many people are like, I don't know. Like, I, and, and again, we're, he's a 5'11", 178 pound corner. Can he survive on the outside consistently? I don't know. I mean, he showed, he shows it on tape. Like he shoots out of a cannon. There's times against like Northwestern in, in 2021 where he, you know, takes wide receiver screens and just blows them up. And then there's other times where, you know, he's super fluid. So I don't know. I, I'm intrigued by him. I just wasn't able to get a full evaluation on him. But for Kalija Kansi, I was able to get that full eval on him. And I, I like the player. I really do. I just, I struggle with him because I've been burnt on guys that are undersized for the position like Solomon Thomas, who couldn't find, you know, his own spot on a defense. And when I look at Kansi, I, I could understand why he would go in the first round. I mean, when he, if you watch his game against Virginia, I mean, he was dominant. He had three sacks in that game. I think, like in total, four or five tackles for loss. Like, just for a player that's only 6'1", 280, you could justify that he might even play as a standup edge rusher in an odd front from time to time, and maybe that's where he's best suited as a five technique. You know, maybe you tilt him from time to time, or maybe you bump him into that four eye. His his pass rush plan is so well established for that size, and I've to, to see a guy that's that explosive and to have his hands work as quickly as he does to get a, you know, a double swipe move or just, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say, you know, forklift, but get these arms off of him and, and just swipe, get through, work his hands consistently. It, it's impressive. And I think he's that type of player that kind of like Ed Oliver, like you're, you're, you're betting on the traits. You're hoping that he becomes a three technique for your interior defensive line, but because of, again, because he's only six, one, Oliver was six, I think with Cansey, you're you're probably talking a little bit more versatility, four eye, five techniques, standing up off up, up off the edge and hoping he can win those one on one battles against tackles. And it, maybe he can, but he was a guy that if he didn't make those plays, it's because he was getting washed and just absolutely dumped. So that's why I struggle with them is because of the, the, the bad the bad stuff.
3: Hmm. And of course, it's like where do you value that skill set? Because like I get his evaluation. But what's his valuation for a team like the New York Giants? Because I think he would add so much value to a Wink-Martindale defense during those money downs when you're blitzing, Mm -hmm. which is the philosophy. It's the bedrock, the backbone of a Wink-Martindale defense are those downs because you create one-on-one matchups. You need players who can win one-on-one matchups. You create free rushers. Kalija Kansi can win one-on-one matchups. Like he thrives in that. He can beat you in a phone booth in those tight confined spaces, but can you really justify with the Giants roster selecting a player like Khalija Kansi who realistically might not have an early downs role? Like he might not. Like he I don't know if he slides into the Giants base defense, I think it would be Nacho, Dex and Leonard. And I think he would just be Somebody that you bring out of the bullpen, second and long, third and long, third and six, third and seven, and he would have so much value in those situations, but do you select that in the first round when your roster kind of just doesn't not have that much talent?
2: I would, I will say him and Kayvon on third down would be absolutely terrifying on the yes. same side. And I an was...
3: <laughs>
2: right. I'd and be text. Terrified
1: who was great last year rushing the quarterback, especially over center, really would. It it, On paper, it's one of my favorite fits. I don't think he's my top target at 25, though. As Nick and I go through our mock drafts and our simulators, it's like the more you look at it, especially when we did the draft of what we would do, Nick, it just felt like there's going to be nothing what you actually want there. Like, we're not going to get a chance at Porter. We're not going to get a chance at Banks. I don't really love any of these receivers. Like, I guess I'd be good with Flowers, but I've even soured a little bit on that. I just don't really like the idea of receiver in round one. I would love it one of these tight ends. I'm hiring them the most. Like to me, Russ, like I'm with you. I'm Michael Mayer. I think he's the clear tight end one in this class, and I really think that if he played for an actual offense in college football and with an actual yeah. quarterback play. He'd be viewed as a top 10 or top 15 prospect. I really do believe. That. I know he's not flashy or anything, but it doesn't matter. The way he moves and the way he finds spots and zones, that is exactly what you need at the NFL level from that tight end position. But of course, like the Giants can't take a player like that because they just invested in Waller. They have Daniel Bellinger, they hit on and they got him cheap and they have him under contract cheap. So it's like it's a weird spot the Giants are in. That's why we're talking about players like Forbes and Cancy, who are total outliers from their size standpoint, but might be the pick for the giant, like might be best of what is left type of situation at twenty. 25 um which is why at some point nick and i will talk about trading back because we're both going to be interested in doing that but um russ let me get let me i know you mentioned a few earlier but let, let me get a, a, a few more of your my guys in this class yeah
2: well just staying down you know interior defensive lineman i'm not going to talk about julius brents in this podcast i think i've done it <laughs> far too much i, I think i think i did it on the last time and okay. I just have to talk about somebody else. I mean, if you want me to, I'll gladly talk about Julius Brent. That's my guy. But uh, like Maisie Prince. Smith, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. rightfully so, as you yeah. should. Uh, Maisie Smith out of Michigan. I think if you know, if you're having that debate about, hey, do I take a Kalijah, Cansey? or do I take a, maybe a little bit more of a sure thing I would take Maisie Smith over him mm. or uh just you know 63 323 uh we already knew he was going to be a freak athlete and you know sure 29 and a half inch vertical that maybe doesn't justify that but uh at, at the same time I mean he's he's athletic it shows on tape he plays with plenty of twitch uh, I think he's one of those guys as a pass rusher and even in in short yardage situations first in first and 10 or on those running downs you know second and 3 he uses a push-pull move pretty consistently, a swim move, a double swipe move to always kind of threaten the backfield. And he's he's powerful and he's got flexible hips and it, it allows him to you know bend and change direction and really bully interior offensive linemen into the backfield. And like there's times you watch him against Purdue and he's dealing with an initial block. He engages, he kind of push-pulls, disengages, then he swims over the next guy. And he ends up flipping his hips and, and running with the the running back laterally down the line of scrimmage and makes the tackle and it, it's one of those guys that I thought you know we would been talking about him more in the first round like as a you know a top twenty five pick maybe even as a lock and we just haven't through this process yet and maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm just blind maybe maybe his tape's not as good as I think. Or maybe, you know, there's some of the off the field stuff. He had a, you know, a misdemeanor gun charge uh, back in October. He was pulled over for speeding and he was found uh, with a uh, concealing a weapon without a license. So there could be those types of things. But if you're, if you're looking for a guy to play from the A gap to the B gap, from a zero to a four I, I think Smith makes a lot of sense. And then the other guy, you know, got, got to do it. Another Wisconsin guy, Keanu Benton is the dude's a stud. I mean, he's just an absolute stud as a three technique. There's a lot of explosiveness to his game. He's got that great first step. He's got a strong lower half. He understands how to play with leverage. That comes from his wrestling background. Uh, He was a guy that, you know, qualified for state, you know, state championship twice, lost both times, but he ended up with a, a overall record as a wrestler at 127 and eight, which is ridiculous. And, you know, through his last two years, he was As a junior, he was forty-eight and two, and as a senior, he was forty-four and two. And the players he's losing to are, are guys that are going to play on at Navy and stuff like that. So it's like you're playing against some some really tough dudes, and they're just built different. So he he's a great great dude. Getting to talk to him at the Senior Bowl, I thought he was somebody that can really hold his own against different types of blocks, from you know whether it's in that gap scheme or reach blocks. And I think it's just a plug and play three technique. I think back to last year, Devonte Wyatt and Kenny Clark from years ago, he kind of fits into that mold. He's not necessarily there as those types of players, but I think the potential could very well be there when you look at just athletic profile and some of his styles of plays.
3: I'm glad you brought up Mazie Smith because he is somebody that, or Mazie Smith, however we say, it. he is somebody yeah. that I, I've seen just like watching DJ Turner. I haven't like sat down and been like, I'm going to do an evaluation on Mazie Smith. But every time I see him, I'm like, damn, I think he's like number 58 or something. Like 58's over there yeah. just kind of like finding his yeah. way through double teams and quick, quicker hands. When he anticipates the snap, I think it was a play against Maryland. It was like a third and one or something. And he anticipated the guard blocking down on him on his own concept. And he just threw the guy to the ground was in the backfield and made a tackle right at the line of scrimmage. And I'm just like, holy crap, man, like, this guy's pretty quick for for a player of his size. And you're right, his testing doesn't necessarily back that up. But I'm glad you mentioned him just because I don't think we've really discussed him all that often on this podcast, Dan.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a great pick as well. All right, any other my guys or any other final draft thoughts before we do a fun exercise
3: with you to close this out, Russ?
2: Um, my guys, my
1: guys, or anything my you want to get off your chest.
3: Let's, let's do you this have. actually, too, Dan. I gotta ask you this, bro. Like, why the hell have you not watched Hank Dell yet? Like, just trust me, bro. Like, go and watch him, you'll have a lot of fun. Like, I think you would enjoy his tip. You might not think it's translatable to the NFL because he's like really freaking small, but dude, he's a fun player to watch.
2: Yeah, I, and I think that was the thing is when I saw his size. I just instantly thought back to some of the drafts that we've seen in the past. And I'm completely blanking on those players' names. Um, you know, not necessarily like Sky Moore, but the, the kid that went to the Rams, uh, 2-2, 2-2 Atwell. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I like think back to those drafts and I'm like, those guys never moved the needle for me. I don't know if this guy's going to do it. And I'm like, I got a hundred players I'm trying to get yeah. to. And and that was my downfall this year, is I just kept watching and watching and watching, and I was like, because I love watching tape. And when my draft guy was finally done, first thing I did, Dorian Thompson Robinson, watching the rest of his games, because that was going to be the other guy that I talk about as one of my guys. Uh, but yeah, I just I, I couldn't get to his tape just because I would have never got this project done, and with the draft a week away, you know, it just never would have never would have happened. But uh, to talk about Dorian Thompson Robinson real quick as as one of my guys, I thought. As we saw him over the course of his career, he was a guy that just always felt like he was supposed to be like this as a player, and he kind of flatlined. But he really took a step forward, I thought, in 2022. And when you see, you know, the velocity that he throws with, I mean, he's he's always spinning it. He's throwing fastballs. I, I thought the thing that stood out most as a passer was his ability to work through progressions. When you go and watch his game against whether it's Oregon or Washington. He's working through progressions pretty consistently, and then you see the immobility. I mean, he takes some shots, he takes some unnecessary hits, but he's a guy that that mobility to extend plays beyond the pocket and and have that threat in the red zone. It makes a difference, and I, I think there's going to be a smart a smart GM, a smart coach, <coughs> Kyle Shanahan, that takes a player like that, and it, he ends up playing when Brock Purdy's arm falls off or something like that. Yeah. But. I, I think I think DTR's a fun player. He's a you know fourth fifth round pick, but he's gonna be a fun day three pick that you know maybe in a couple of years we look at. And then lastly, Tyler Steen. I gotta end with the trenches, oh, offensive I like Tyler tackle Steen. from Alabama. Yeah, I he might be more of a guard. I don't know, but he's yeah. got you know almost 33 inch arms and he's six six. I'm gonna give him a try. I'm just gonna do my best. But thirty one reps in the bench. He his anchor gets tested a lot. I don't know if that's more so core strength problems or just Still figuring it out. I mean, he played at Vanderbilt. Was He was good, but not great. Really started, and he's a former defensive tackle, by the way. So then he flips over to the offensive side of the football. So he's still kind of figuring it out. But to see this guy consistently cement his feet into the ground, he's strong. He can work with line stunts and blitzes. His hands are heavy. Like, he's going to be a guard or tackle. And I think he's going to be a player that we look back in the third round and go, how did this guy make it to 70? And how is this guy playing on Sunday night football as, as good as he is for six or seven, eight years? I think he's going to be that type of player.
1: I love that call Tyler Steen. He's someone who I just started watching or was put on to recently. And I just think you put him at guard. I know you said he could play tackle. I think he could play Tag, but if you put him at guard, you potentially have one of the better tackle to guard converts in this whole class.
3: Yeah. Why do I feel like the Green Bay Packers always find players like that? I know that must strike yeah. home for you right there, Russ, it but it does Bay seem like they did that.
2: They always take my guys, they always do it every year. Devontae Wyatt, Kenny Clark. I mean, the list just goes on. Elgin L- L- Jenkins, on. I
1: really wanted in that class. I thought he was such a surefire prospect. I had a first round grade on him, and they got him too. I think they got him like forty two or something like
3: that. They they also yep. have Royce Newman too, the kid from Old Miss, yep. Zach Tom from yep. Wake Forest last year. We like solid Zach Tom, play. too. I did, and he was a little bit limited in terms of his size. But holy crap, he could like get his hands on you. You're just think he had a now. good
1: first year too for them. I played. Yeah, he played in he had a Pretty good first year, yeah. So yeah, they
2: took Eric Stokes, Jair Alexander, right. all my guys, man. Just all <laughs> the guys,
1: yeah, for all the crap they get as a franchise, the Packers. And there have been some mismanagement through the years, but I think they do a pretty good job overall fielding this team, I just, especially for a team that doesn't really spend in free agency. It's not part of their MO and that gives them almost a limit, a, a, you know, fewer resources to work with, but yeah. So let's, let's wrap this thing up now. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how, or let's wrap this thing up the way that we've been wrapping up a few, a few of the more recent ones. A lot of people have been sending in mock drafts to us, Russ. Um, so if you want to yeah. play along with us and have some fun, yeah, you can, grade the mock draft I'm about to tell you, and then give your analysis on it. So we're going to do a couple here. Let's start with one that I think we missed, Nick. And I apologize to anyone listening if we repeat any of this, because Nick and I haven't really had the best, uh, I guess, process for this. We're not like we're reading these from iTunes. So we're not like there's no cross off button on your your iTunes page. So we don't know. But I, I don't remember reading this one. So this one's from Jay Calla. Nick, if I've read it already, just please cut me off. In his mock draft, the 25 overall, Quinton Johnston falls, the wide receiver out of TCU. And I got to say, I think it's more likely than it ever was that he might make it down to 25. Or at least the buzz doesn't seem to be uh, big there. Then Emmanuel Forbes at 59 may not happen anymore, but he has it here. Luke Whippler, the center of Ohio State at 89. Ronnie Hickman at 128. John Gaines, who we like a lot, Nick and I, at UCLA at 130. Roshan Johnson, another player we love at 160. Dorian Williams, the the, the uh, athletic linebacker 2 lane 172. Jalen Redman at Oklahoma 209, Bumper Pool at Arkansas 240, Mark Evans 243 and then Michael Jefferson at 254. Give me a grade and, and any analysis you want here.
2: I think I'd give that a solid a solid B. I mean to to get Quentin Johnston, um to get a guy like Luke Whippler, I mean just when you look at the offense, I mean if if I'm the Giants, my goal in this draft is to help my quarterback as much as I possibly can. And I think if you can land Quentin Johnston, I mean, you could potentially get an ex receiver here. Again, my, my biggest worry with him is he can't separate and they just, they let go of a guy that couldn't separate. So I don't know if, you know, <laughs> you want to necessarily do that again, but again, we're talking different athletes. So we'll see how that translates for Quentin Johnson. It doesn't sound like he's going to go in the first round, but crazier things have happened. Uh, but yeah, with Whipler, I like him. I thought he was uh you know, the, the second best true center in this draft. So I am fine with that. Um, Emmanuel Forbes at that spot would obviously be phenomenal. Don't know if he's going to be there. Um, I like the Jalen Redman call. I thought he was somebody when I'd watched like Perry on Winfrey from two years ago, he always consistently flashed. I didn't get a full eval on him, but I think as a day three pick, you're talking interior defensive lineman has some versatility. I think that's pretty good. I love Roshan Johnson. I think that's a perfect backup to Saquon. You look at some of the creativity there. I think it's it's great um, that you can get offensively. So I, I like that fit quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a solid B. Where
1: are you going with this, Nick?
3: I'm going to give it a nice, strong B-plus, I think. I love the Emmanuel Forbes at 59. I feel like mock drafts haven't caught up to the fact that he might go before that, but I could still understand it. You're 166 pounds, 59. That's not too unreasonable to imagine. Quinton Johnston looked like if he fell to 25, I have my reservations about him, similar to Russ, similar to basically everybody I feel like now who is talking about the draft. I felt like it was pretty evident throughout his film, though, so I don't know where the top 10 buzz ever came from when it came to Quentin Johnston, but okay, you add a playmaking wide receiver who might be able to do unique things. Hopefully Dable and Kafka can find a way to maximize him. Luke Whipler, like that at 89. Ronnie Hickman, is that a little bit early? Doubling up on Buckeyes. Maybe this guy's from Ohio. Not going to knock it. (laughs) John Gaines, 130, you know, great athlete, just probably not ready to play right now with all the technical flaws, but I do love his athletic ability. Get him out in the space with him and Josh Azudu. That'd be a lot of fun. Roshan Johnson, possibly an heir to Saquon Barkley, depending on what happens with that entire situation. You know, I love Dorian Williams at this point. And then a guy named Bumper Pool. I mean, that's a really cool name to be selecting. And that's probably the only reason this guy clicked it. But I do like that addition. He had the leadership skills at Arkansas, and I don't really have anything on Michael Jefferson or Mark. Evans and not too much on Jalen Redmond.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna give this one a B minus. Um, I think he knocks it out of the park and the thanks for sending it in, J. Cal. I think you knock it out of the park with Forbes at fifty-nine from a value standpoint. And I just love the value with Roshan Johnson at one sixty and John Gaines at one thirty. John Gaines is probably one of the four, five, six handful of interior offensive linemen that I specifically want the giants to come out of this draft with. They all fit a similar bill for me. They're really good on the move and they have the athleticism and the athletic traits that translate to actually being good on the move against NFL talent, not just against what you're playing at the college level. Roshan Johnson to me is probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite sleeper running backs. I mean, I love Kendry Miller. There's guys I love, so it's hard to call anyone my favorite sleeper back. But I think there's a non-zero. Like, he reminded me a little bit, and this is not a comp I've seen for him, just from his style of running, of to Ramondre Stevenson when Ramondre Stevenson came out. and He's obviously been a smash hit for the New England Patriots. That ability to create missed tackles and to create so much yards after content. I think something crazy, like 50% of his attempts forced a missed tackle, or he uh, 50% of his yards came after contact. One of those two things was the case for Roshan. But this draft, unfortunately, loses me a bit. With Quentin Johnston at 25, it seems on paper like, oh my God, you got amazing value. But honestly, dude, the more I look at Quentin Johnson, I just I don't know. I don't know, like I, I don't know if I see the path. I don't like his ability to cut and on the on like the you know, the in-breaking routes like the digs. The three cone was disastrous, man. Just disastrous for a wide receiver. The speed wasn't what people like he has stride length, so his four-five-one speed is better than it looks because of the stride length, but that's, that's like, his, you know, he just looks the part to me more than is the part with Quinton Johnson. He's just not a player I would want for the giants at 25. And then Luke Whippler is just not one of the centers that I'm specifically targeting in this draft. I don't like his fit for what we're doing. So I still got to give it a B minus cause there's some great value picks in Forbes at 59, but um, yeah, I'm going B minus on this one. Let's do one more. If you don't mind, uh, Ross, yeah. and this one's from Kenny Chiardello. This is a Filato. This is, you know, along the lines of Filato's background as a pure Italiano here over there, the paisan. Uh Cherardello, <laughs> Kenny Cherardello and Russ, Russ Brown. You know, we, we, Russ,
3: you're not Italian, are you? No, I'm not even. No, I, I couldn't nothing. imagine I that Russell Brown was Italian, but <laughs> he never knows. I, would, I a- would
2: love to be. I I listen to Italian mafia stuff all the time, but <laughs> I got nothing
1: for you. Everyone would love to be Italian, which is what I've come to learn myself, especially included in that. But this is just a three-round mock from Kenny, and Kenny's going to go with Forbes at 25 overall, John Michael Schmitz at 57, and then Tajay Spears, the running back out of Tulane, at 89. Yeah, you can go first, yeah. Be-
2: yeah, no B, B plus. I mean, Emmanuel Forbes, I'm fine with it. I, like we talked about earlier, I think he kind of fits what they're looking for uh, as that, you know, potential press man corner. But then you just talk about the ball hawk ability that he has. He's got the ball skills um, with, you know, six interceptions for touchdown in his career. John Michael Schmitz, I think is the best pure center in this draft. I think his ability to reach from, you know, from 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 playing center to get to a four I it's just so impressive the, the the snap to step quickness is impressive as well um, and and he's a smart dude he's he's gonna be you know I, I don't want to say he's Tyler Linderbaum because he's not even close as the same player but when you think of like plug and play centers from recent memory it's that type of guy and then Tajay Spears I, I think he's gonna be a better pro than he is a college player and that's just simply because. You know, he was productive at Tulane, but nobody really took notice of him until, you know, the game against USC. And I think as, as time goes on here, if, if he backs up a player like Saquon he gets his chances, I think it's going to be just fine. I, I think he's a good pass catcher as well. He's kind of got that aggressive play style with his cutting ability, too. So, yeah, I, I think this is great for the offense, and I think you get that corner on the outside. You're kind of You're kind of cooking with gas here.
3: Kenny. Thank you so much for the very nice words. He also added very nice words into this review. (laughs) I got to say this, though, Dan. Emmanuel Forbes and John Michael Schmitz, I would be perfectly fine with that takeaway from uh, day one to day two. And you could insert whichever direction. Look, I, I don't want the Giants to take a center at 25, but if they take Emmanuel Forbes at 25 and then John Michael Schmitz is sitting there at 57. I think that's a win. Like, I think that is a very, very good start. And I and I like Tajay Spears. I also like this running back draft class. So can you get better value a little bit later? I'd like to know who else was available at 89, but I would be disingenuous if i didn't say you know taji spears is a top 89 player for me so should i be upset so it really just comes down to value there but because of that i'm 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 gonna give it an a minus but i don't know who else was still on this board i really like this though and i would be happy with emmanuel forbes and john michael schmitz with the first two picks
1: i think for me it's closer to bb minus b-. i will go with a b here so for me I like John Michael Schmitz around 257 overall, but it's about the range where I have him. If I'm just looking at the class as a whole, I think he's no better than like the 50th best overall prospect to bet on in this class to me there's still some limitations with betting on someone like john michael schmitz he's 24 years old and he's really in my opinion only going to play center maybe you think you can move him to guard i guess it's possible depends on who the giant you know it depends on what bobby johnson thinks in that regard but i really think he's playing this onesie center position and i don't really see him as like this all pro pro elite level type of guy like a creed humphrey or even like you mentioned linderbaum who i think had much better athleticism and movement skills so to me that's about a 50th to 60th overall player. I think Giants fans will be excited about it because they want a center, but I get less excited about it because it's just a center and it's not, in my opinion, a guy who can be like dominant next level. I think you're right. He's going to be great. He's going to step right in and play similar like career style, like have, you know, a a long tenure here. But to me, that's about average. And then Forbes at 25 is also about average for me. Um, But what brings this one up for me is just the fact that you get Tajay Spears here. I know some people will say, look, you can get a running back later. I know some people will say, ah, is any running back really great value at 89 overall? I think Tajay Spears is a great value at 89 overall. I think he's one of the 50 or 60 best prospects in this class overall. I just think what he can bring to an offense is great. And like you said, there's untapped potential in the pass game. I really love how violently he gets north and south and I just love how tacklers shake off his legs. Like you just look at this yeah. guy and you think one thing about him like you think he's the speed only back like a like an A-chain. You think you're going to watch another A-chain. You're not watching that. You're watching a guy who's really got it all except for the size. So that's my take on that one. Dan hates JMS. I don't hate JMS. <laughs> don't put that out there. Like I said, I'd be happy with him. I'd be, fi- no, I'd be fine with him at, at 57. Look, I have him about like the 50th to 55th best type of prospect in this class. So that's fine at 57. I'm just not over the moon taking any kind of like center in this type of class.
3: There's a lot of acronyms and, uh, you got JSN, you got JMS, you yeah. got TR, but you don't, there's known for Bryce Ford Wheaton. Like I don't see BFW. Like, I guess that just doesn't roll off the tongue as well. <laughs> I yeah. want to say one well, weird Cyrus
2: thing yeah. is an OCT, but
1: yeah. Yeah. One weird thing about DTR. Cause I forgot to say this when you were talking DTR before Russ, and I just want to get either of your takes on this when it comes to DTR. And then it's Anthony Richardson as well. I find the weirdest thing about these two players is whenever I talk to fans of those teams, one of my best friends is a UCLA fan die hard. And then I have a few guys I work with coworkers who are diehard Florida fans. They hate these quarterbacks. They think they suck. All the Florida fans I've talked to literally think Anthony Richardson is not is going to be a bust. And then everyone, and then the one fan I talked to about DTR is just like, no, dude, no. Like I see, like, and I, lo- I'm with you, Russ. I watch him, and I'm like, this is somebody I would definitely gamble on if I'm an NFL GM on day three at quarterback. He has all the traits I want, and he has like the old Bill Parcells thing, where like you want to look for quarterbacks who have started a lot of games and played a lot of meaningful snaps because. Uh, You know, more so than anything else, reps is extremely important at quarterback. And you talk to this dude who follows UCLA a lot closer than I do. And they're like, no, dude, trust me. No. So I think it's weird. Maybe it's the expectation thing. Like you were mentioning before, like this was the idea that DTR was going to get to here. And he kind of always stayed here. But it just is odd to me with Richardson and DTR, how like the fans don't don't really support them as much as I would expect them to. I
3: feel like the Richardson one is. It's a fun, conver- not a fun conversation, but it's, it's unique in the sense that like Dan Mullen was the head coach and they just didn't right. use him. And then they tried, um, what was the quarterback's name who uh, was there last year? They started him over Richardson and Richardson has really, I only think he has 500 passing attempts in his career, right? Like, he does not have snaps, but you just bet on the yeah. traits like Russ, yeah. just before we get out of here, we're going to go soon since the lions do pick high. And since I guess you guys could be considered in the quarterback market. If they went the Anthony Richardson route, how would you feel?
2: No, I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, I, I think it complicates things. And to, to before I get into that, to answer Dan's question about it, like I think, too, the fandom kind of gets in the way. Like Dan, mm. you're not a fan of either team, so you look at it from the football side of things and like you're mm. seeing him work through progressions. Richardson navigates the pocket very well for a player that's inexperienced as he is. the the average fan doesn't do that. Like when I watch Michigan state, sure. I put football into mine, but when I'm watching it and they start losing, I get mad and I want that player bench because my fandom takes over. So (laughs) it's one of those types of things, right? And we're all, we're all guilty of it. I'm sure you guys do it with the giants and fans out there doing the same thing. So uh, yeah, but, but with the lions, if they took AR at at, at six, I, I think it's, it's fine. I mean, it makes sense. There's some uncertainty there with Jared Goff. I mean, He took a big step forward this year. He's played pretty well considering, you know, everything with, you know, a new system, different types of weapons. Didn't really have much two years ago. They obviously put a little bit more around him and they're still trying to do that. So I think he's done well with the circumstances, but when you're looking at the future, you're talking about super bowl or bust and can Jared Goff get you the super bowl? We don't know. Anthony Richardson might be able to do that. So, uh, I, I, I'm fine with it. Again, I, I'm perfectly fine with pretty much anything they do, unless they took like a receiver at six, just simply because I think it's too rich. If they took a receiver at 18, I'm cool with it. Uh, receiver, a tight end at six, I don't know, but we'll see. I, I think it's defense, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. It's
3: the most chill, relaxed Russell Brown I've ever seen less than two weeks before a <laughs> draft. <laughs>
2: Dude, it's I'm telling you, it's the weirdest thing because it's just like we've had a good a good free agency and and that's and I think it's because in my heart I feel like we're going corner and just through talking and kind of getting connected it it just feels like corner and when you look at how they've structured things in the past like, you know, this year they're they're going corner because they have nobody beyond this year a week before the draft or 2 weeks before they draft they trade away Jeff Okuda. And it's like, you didn't need to do that, but you did. You got an extra lottery ticket for day three of the draft. And, you know, Emmanuel Mosley is on a one year deal. Prove it. If it works, cool. Cam Sutton is essentially a two year deal because you can opt out of it. Sure, it's three years in structure, but you can opt out of that. So you don't really have much beyond this year. And we know that corner takes a year or so to really develop right. and, and get to the next level. So, I think Witherspoon or Gonzalez make just so much sense unless they love Deontay Banks and they take him at six, which would just shock the world, but it's possible. I think he's, you know, one of the 15 best players in the draft.
1: I agree with that. Take a lot. Oh, yeah. on Banks. So thank you so much for joining us again, Russell. This was awesome as usual. Tons of great takes. We went on for over an hour. We didn't plan that, but we just did. That's what happens when we talk draft with Ross. So one more time before we get out of here, let the people know where they can find your work and where they can follow your work.
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at RussNFLDraft. My draft guide will drop on Wednesday. It'll be posted on there. We're working on some stuff with fantasy pros on how to kind of promote it uh, and not make it like the draft guide because fantasy pros does their own draft guide But because I kind of came on late in the process within this draft cycle. We're finding a way to kind of make it work for me uh, for my work in that. But uh, it'll be free to download if you're feeling like, hey, I got to give this guy some money please don't ask for my Venmo or PayPal. Just please click the the two charities that will be linked in there. It'll be Wounded Warriors or, uh, yeah, Wounded Warrior Project, which is, you know, giving back to veterans and, and things like that. And then uh, Ronald McDonald House. So two different types of charities, but they're both for great causes, taking care of kids, taking care of our veterans. I just, you know, I've always – football's given me so much. The least I could do is give back to, you know, everybody out there that are in much worse situations than – I've been or ever will be. So, um, if you're, if you're thinking of doing anything, just do it to charity. It'll be in there and it'll be uh, much appreciated. So thanks fellas.
1: Thank you, Russ. All right, everyone have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. And remember if you want to get your mock draft uh, read and graded on the air, just drop it in the comment section of itunes when you leave us a rating and review we want a five-star review we are one look itunes doesn't update that often but it looks like we're about 129 ratings away from getting to 1k which was the goal i want to get to 1k i want to look at that itunes app i want to look at that podcast app and see 1k ratings when i look at our podcast so help us get there that's all you got to do leave a rating review and we'll read it on there otherwise a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon
4: mypatriotsupply.com.